0: We'll hear argument now, number 94.325, Chandris v. Latsis. Uh, Mr. McCready.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, this case involves the common and troublesome question of who is a seaman under the Jones Act. Unfortunately, the Jones Act does not define the statutory term seaman, so that task is left to the courts. This court has struggled with that issue uh, over the years, as have the circuit and district courts. Traditionally, the test that has been used, even if it has more than two parts, breaks the semen test down into the examination of the connection of the employee to his employer or the vessel, and then secondly, uh, the employee's contribution to the vessel itself. In Wheelander, this Court addressed the second part of that test and answered the question of whether a seaman must contribute to the navigation of the vessel. And, of course, the holding was that that is not necessary. The seaman must merely contribute to the function or contribute to the mission of the vessel. Uh, The issue today addresses the, the first question, and that is, what is the employment-related connection to the vessel that is necessary. Wheelander, although it addressed the navigation issue, did uh, make statements and give clues as to what employment-related connection is necessary. One important...
2: Well, but I think what it didn't do was answer the question whether the uh, employee's contribution uh, has to be simply substantial or a more permanent one, in effect, with regard to uh, his maritime
1: employment. That, that issue was certainly left open.
2: Yeah, it was. And um, the Fifth Circuit seems to have a more restrictive test pointing perhaps to permanent uh, employment in that capacity. And the Second Circuit spoke in terms of a substantial contribution in terms of duration or nature.
1: And I, and I think that that focuses us squarely on the issue today. Uh, and in, what
2: tests do you uh, say? this?
1: Well, is in, in analyzing uh, just kind of those two tests, uh, I believe that although there were some good intentions in the uh, LATSIS test, there are two fatal flaws in that test. And therefore, uh, I advocate the Fifth Circuit test, which has withstood uh, many, many years of, uh, of test on fire under battle.
2: What do you say are the fatal flaws with the Second Circuit's articulation of the test?
1: The Latsis test, the problem with the Latsis test, is that we do know from Wheelander that Longshoreman and jones x seamen are mutually exclusive. Do you think
2: that um, <clears throat> Mr. Latsis could have been covered um, under the Longshoreman Harbor Workers Act for these uh, injuries?
1: Yes. Did,
2: uh, to your knowledge, does the record disclose whether uh, he ever made an application under that act?
1: The record does not disclose whether Mr. Latsis made an application. Going outside the record, if I may, Mr. Justice, there, there is no indication that he has done so. I have, in anticipation of that question, uh, tried to determine without uh, unduly getting off the track, to determine whether he still has that remedy. And uh, my preliminary research is that uh, under 33 U.S. 13 G, I believe it is, uh, he, there is a tolling section that would allow him to proceed that remedy if he's unsuccessful uh, as this case, it runs through the courts. Are, are engineers treated as longshoremen? Traditional crew members who hold the position of engineers are not treated as longshoremen. Uh, they are uh, permanently assigned to a vessel, and therefore, under any test... No, but even a land-based engineer, would a land-based engineer be a longshoreman? A land-based engineer who is performing ship repairs uh, would be a longshoreman, Uh, under the Fifth Circuit Robinson test, and in my view the correct test, because he's going to split time between shore and sea. And depending on how much time he spends at sea and how much time at shore, he could be a longshoreman. Uh, Most of those questions, of course, are for the jury to decide, Uh, and this Court has been uh, unequivocal also in in that statement, that seaman status, uh, unless it's so clear, but is it not
3: true that there are a category of personnel who are neither seamen nor longshoremen who might go to sea
1: once in a while? There, there is that category, and in, in that case, they are entitled to traditional negligence remedies. Yeah. But here, because he is performing uh, ship repair or a species of ship repair, uh, I believe he is covered by the Longshore Act.
0: Well, is that technically correct? I mean, he wasn't getting down there and soldering any wires himself,
1: was he? There is a
0: supervising engineer.
1: To my, to my knowledge, there are no Supreme Court cases that specifically define what a repair is for the purposes of the Longshore Act or, or the Jones Act. However, there are some circuit cases, and my interpretation of those cases is that it's a fairly common sense uh, definition, and that if a person is uh, utilizing his talents to, to replace communication equipment or shore up communication equipment or to... Um, uh, fix engine problems or consult on engine problems, that that person then would be doing repairs.
4: I mean, you can work in a skyscraper in Manhattan. I, I, I guess uh, the individual here worked in New York most of the time. Is that, am I right about that?
1: He, he, his residence was in New York, but he spent most of his living time in Miami, Florida, uh, in the company offices and in a condominium that had been purchased, or rented for his purpose in Miami.
4: But if you had the right computer, Hick Hook up, you, you could really be in Manhattan in a, in a high-rise office building and still be a, a longshoreman.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Virtual... Well, uh, the, 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 under that circumstance, I think that, uh, to correct myself, he would not be a longshoreman because to be a longshoreman, you need to satisfy the situs and the status test. And although he would satisfy the status, status test, he would not satisfy the situs test. So I stand corrected on, on that answer.
5: Even even though there may be difficult cases, is there there a possibility here to at least carve out a category of easy cases? And that is, if we assume that the individual is employed by the vessel owner, uh, that the vessel is on a voyage, which I take it this one indisputably was, uh, that the person is supposed to do some work for the vessel owner on the voyage, he's not a passenger and he's not a stowaway, Uh, is, is, would we get into trouble in carving out a simple category, uh, in that case when all those conditions have met, uh, and say that anyone in that capacity is a seaman,
1: uh, for purposes of that voyage? Justice Souter, if I understand your, your question correctly, uh, you're, you're reviewing the elements of the voyage test, which, which would cover the situation that you've described. And I believe not only would you create difficulties, I think you would, uh, would open the floodgates uh, to more and more litigation over this issue. And more importantly, I think... Well, would we open
5: floodgates to more litigation over the issue or just open floodgates to more claimants who would succeed on their claims? Is, is there a difference?
1: I think, I think both would occur. More importantly, I believe that uh, the uh, Congress's intent under the Longshore Act would be uh, vitiated by that test. Uh, To give you an example, before you get
4: to the example, I'm not following the discussion because I had been under the impression that you can't be a uh, a, a, a seaman for purposes of the voyage, that it is an employment status, that you are either a seaman or you are not a seaman. And if you are a seaman uh, and have made one voyage that makes you a seaman, you remain a seaman when you're back in Manhattan
1: that is correct and, and if you
4: get injured in the office building because of that one voyage is is that what this is that what the second circuit does with it
1: that's not what the second circuit does but that is the correct law that you're describing all right but the but second it's, it's,
4: circuit's uh, test would say you can be a seaman for one voyage and then when you go back to land you're you're no longer under under the jones act and you
1: the the, the two flaws that the second circuit the uh, that latsis test suffers from are not the same as as the voyage test that was introduced in the respondent's brief on the merits. The
5: voyage test would even be more favorable more living, Stevens, yes, than sir. the Second Circuit test would be. Is there a textual reason why the voyage test is wrong?
1: The, the reason why the voyage test is wrong is it, is it has absolutely no resolving power, and the examples of who would qualify under that test, you can go on and on and on. And, and, and In fact, the justice of this Well, we're court, going on
5: and on and on now. Where, where, wherever we go, we seem to go on and on and on. And, well, and is there a textual reason why the, why the voyage test is, is, is impermissible?
1: Well, the voyage test uh, d- does not comply with, with the requirements that were set down in Wheelander, and the voyage test certainly would not be restricted to the master or members of the crew. Well, I take
5: it you're telling me implicitly that there's no textual reason why it's wrong. I'm not sure. I I'm keep not- asking you, and you don't. There's nothing
1: in the act. The the act, unfortunately, uh, only has the word... Just uses the word seamless. Yes, sir. There is no no
2: definition, is there? There is no definition. And left to this court to define. And I guess under the Longshoremen and Harbor Workers Act, we've extended coverage to people who make short trips all the time. They're in and out of the harbor, and they're making very short trips. And uh, to use a voyage test might get us into some difficulty, I assume.
1: For example, the justices of this court could be seamen under the voyage test. If if the ABA or another bar group uh, chartered a vessel, and uh, they operated the vessel, and there was a seminar on board, and one or more of the court was invited to be a speaker on that uh, cruise, that voyage, and uh, there was an injury to one of the justices, the simplistic elements of the voyage test would be met because the the justice would be contributing to to the mission of the vessel, Ie, given an educational seminar like a entertainer on a cruise ship, uh, you would be hurt during the voyage, and um, it would be it for the duration be impl- of the voyage. But you wouldn't be employed by the vessel. But the voyage test does not require employment. That's another reason. No, well, my hypo. I thought did. Justice Souter's hypo did. Okay, then have would be employed by the vessel and be um, further be at sea when you get hurt. If if you in, impose a further duty that was not mentioned in the uh, respondents. Uh, brief on the merits, that there be an employment relationship between the owner of the vessel and that employee, uh, that would exclude the example of the justice of this court, but it would not exclude the example of the general counsel of the cruise line, the CEO of a cruise line, uh, the in-house marketing person from the cruise line, all who would have employment relationships with the vessel owner. And then you've satisfied that element, and then you go right back to the point of they're on a voyage. For the duration. Those are all
3: clearly examples of people who would not be longshoremen, I assume. That's correct. So we do have a category of people who are neither longshoremen
1: nor seamen. There certainly are.
6: I, I, t- I take it the situs of the injury, the fact that it occurred on a voyage, is relevant? Is one of the factors?
1: In the Latsus case itself, uh, the Longshore Act, in my view, does cover the situation because he was a ship repairman. The examples I gave of the uh, general counsel... The CEO and an in-house marketing person, they do not fall within the category of the Longshore Act. Now, if
2: you're you're a seaman and the injury occurs on land, you are still covered under the Jones Act as a seaman, I assume.
1: Absolutely correct. And that is because the seaman status is not established at the exact time of the accident or in what you're doing uh, um, immediately before the accident. You in, in seamens cases this court over and over has decided that it doesn't want seamen to walk in and out of coverage, so you looked to the overall employment relationship, decided what status the person was and whether they were on shore or on a ship, they are entitled to seamens remedy. But, but
6: in a close case where the claimant is arguing for seaman's status, is it relevant that the injury occurred on the vessel on a voyage? That's just a that's where Justice Souter w- was leading. It seems to me that there may be a category of easier cases. And we can say that in a close case, this can be the dispositive factor. It occurred on a voyage where he's subject to the pearls of the sea. He's got to do what the ship's doctor says, et etc.
1: Et that is certainly a complicating factor, and it makes it more difficult for, for, for us just to exclude that person. I tried to point out examples of, of how using just a voyage test uh, creates problems.
4: Well, that's not a complicated. It seems to me, if if you're being uh, consistent to your argument, your answer to Justice Kennedy has to be, no, that that it, it is irrelevant where the injury happened to occur. The individual is either a semen or not a semen. Now, it may tug at the heartstrings and it may be a, you know, an emotionally significant factor, but 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 as I understand your theory, the the question is whether the individual is normally doing. The work uh, of a seaman. And if not, even if he happens to have been injured
1: uh,
4: uh, at sea during a voyage, uh, it, it should make no difference.
1: And, and I agree with your summary. Perhaps I misunderstood your question. Uh, it does not fit the, the, void, or the status tests that I advocate. It does have a certain intuitive, simplistic appeal that it is, it is an easy test to apply. And from that perspective, that I thought that, that it is complicating. but well, it's it seems odd,
6: to me not only intuitive, but it has some bearing on the rationale for the act, which is, is that the seaman is subject to uh, the discipline of the ship, uh, the orders of the ship's doctor, etc., uh, which is precisely why we have seaman status at all.
1: The, the perils of the sea is certain one of the policy considerations in protecting seamen. The problem comes in when you use that as your sole basis for fashioning a seaman I, I, I'm
6: suggesting that it is a weighty factor, not the, dis, not the sole factor.
1: It is one of the factors involved, but, for example, as we discussed earlier, uh, seamen who are on shore are no longer subjected to the perils of the sea.
7: Mr. McCready, that, I, I, I thought I had your position right, but from what you're saying now, I'm not clear. I thought your position is you can type every person, every employee... Before the accident occurs, you say, tell me what Lattis' work is, and I will tell you whether he's a seaman or not. That is correct. So that, in answer to Justice Kennedy's question on your theory, it should be irrelevant whether Lattis was injured in a sea storm because you know from day one, based on the obligations and duties of his job, that he will not be a sailor. I that thought is, that was your
1: position. That is, that is my position, and I've probably confused it by again conceding that there are some advocates who want to just look to the place of the injury to determine whether someone is a seaman. That is contrary, I believe, to Wheelander, contrary to the Fifth Circuit test.
7: Your position is it's not even a relevant factor.
1: That is correct. Okay. Well, Mr. What McGrady, uh,
0: enlighten me. If, if a seaman is on land, and is injured, say, by a negligent automobile driver, uh, can he can he recover from the ship's owner?
1: Mr. Chief Justice, he can, and that's the series of Supreme Court cases that that hold that you're not going to let a seaman walk in and out of coverage solely because of the fortuity of where the injury occurs. His status is established by looking at his entire employment with that vessel or that employer, and when he comes ashore and is injured, I think there's cases dealing with dance halls and all, you know, all kind of uh, activities that seamen engage in, they all are entitled to maintenance and cure and seamen's remedies, including the Jones Act. Mc- I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Oh.
5: Uh, let me go back to Justice Kennedy's question with a, with a slight variation, although I'm not sure it really is variation. Let's assume whatever the test is, um, you need a tiebreaker. I'm the judge. I cannot decide. You know, there's this and there's that. I'm on the fence. Why is it an impermissible tiebreaker uh, to to uh, to to give dispositive weight to the fact that the voyage, that the ship was on a voyage, that he was employed, that he was not an, uh, a a passenger uh, or a stowaway, uh, and uh, the the injury resulted from from a uh, an accepted hazard of sea voyages. Why is that an impermissible tiebreaker on any test?
1: I I agree with your position, and and it is a line drawing problem we have here today. Where do you draw the lines? I do not agree that the. The, that whether they're on a voyage should be the end-all and be-all of the test, but I do advocate well, we, using just that as a Justice Kennedy
5: wasn't suggesting that, and at this point I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying whatever the test is, we, we come out at a point of equipoise. Why is that factor or that conjuries of factors not a reasonable and sufficient basis to break the tie?
1: I argue that that's how the tie should be broken and that the perils of the sea... Uh, that occur at sea or on vessels that, that are in movement, that that should be added to the Fifth Circuit test to provide the proper well, test for this you, you've
0: taken several different positions here. First, you seem to agree with Justice Kennedy, and then in response to Justice Scalia's and Justice Ginsburg question, you say it was irrelevant. That it, And now you say it's a permissible tiebreaker. You've taken
1: three different positions. My which, pos- which do you end up with? My position is that that you cannot use Perils of the Sea as the sole basis for your test. You have to start with Wheelander lander and use an employment-related connection to a vessel. The only place that the the Perils of the Sea comes into play is when you're trying to draw the fine line at the very end of the test. I think it's relevant to distinguish between Longshoremen and Sink. Well, well, then,
6: then you have to retract your answer to Justice Ginsburg, who suggested to you, Shouldn't we be able to know, before the voyage ever occurs, by looking at the person's job description, whether or not he or she is a seaman?
1: The, the test that we've ad, advocated here would allow uh, the employer or the court to make that determination.
2: is that what the Fifth Circuit does? You look at the job as a whole and look to see whether there is a permanent employment as a seaman on a vessel.
1: The permanent connection. I mean,
2: is that right? I mean, is that more the focus of the Fifth Circuit? The Fifth Circuit test? tests
1: the first prong or the, <laughs> is a permanent connection. There is. Uh, All
2: right. Now, the Second Circuit does not require uh, a permanent connection. It says there can be some in and out coverage to the extent that the employment or, or the contribution of the employee was substantial in terms of its duration. And nature, is that right? That is correct. Now, neither the Second Circuit nor the Fifth Circuit used the so-called voyage test, as I understand it.
1: No court that I know of has used And that.
2: we're not reviewing a judgment that used that test. That would be going off in a, another direction, would
1: that, it not? That is correct. This case involves a dispute between the Robinson-Barrett test and the, the Latsis test. And the problem with the Latsis test is that when it uses the uh, terms duration or nature, it allows a person who spends, in the jury's eyes, 90% of their time on shore and who have some contact with vessels to be seamen, and that is contrary to the Fifth Circuit test and, I believe, to the uh, the statements in Wee Leonard. Is that
4: one of the fatal... I I think it's relevant to what we're considering here, Uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the concession you've made with regard to the place of the injury, because, frankly, I thought the strongest part of your case was the necessity for the employer to be able to tell whether an employee is a Jones Act employee or not a Jones Act employee. And I thought we had two categories of people. You could study the person's job and decide he was or he wasn't, but you have now told us that there are three categories of employees. There are those who are clearly Jones Act. There are those who are clearly not Jones Act. And there is a third category where it's too close to call, as Justice Kennedy says, and they either are or are not Jones Act depending upon where they get injured.
1: I think That the, does
6: not
4: strike me as a very, uh, very the, happy system of...
1: The, uh, the difficulty is, and the reason that, that that is a problem, is because, as this court has pointed out, the, the court has to give the law and the jury has to make the decision. And what, what I'm trying to explain is that there are situations that superficially fall under the Robinson-Barrett test and, and makes a longshoreman into a seaman. And that is contrary to Congress's intent as to what they want to occur. And what I'm trying to explain in the fourth part of my uh, uh, Brief on the Merits is that in order to fortify the Fifth Circuit Test, to shore it up so that it is more precise, so it does help a jury reach a realistic and honest appraisal of the seaman's status, and also help an employer know what his employees are, that, that conceptually it is fair to shore that up by adding in that you need either a permanent connection or a substantial connection, as long as the substantial prong is fortified by exposure to perils at sea, not at the dock, or to to the dangers of vessels while they're underway at sea.
8: That's, that's why I didn't really see the difference between the briefs. I mean, I know this must be my fault, but uh, uh, they, it seems to me it comes down to whether it's the perils of the sea, and they say... The hazards of the sea, and then later on they define hazards of the sea to uh, uh, be deep sea perils and the dangers incident to the movement of vessels on navigable waters. And once I saw that, it seemed to me, what's the difference? I, I take it what you're trying to get at is there are people who wear blue suits, wear, put up, used to put up sails, work on the motors, everyone would say they're seamen, and they're covered all the time. Correct. All right. Then there's some other people, like a welder, who may come on the ship when it's at the dock. And the question is, suppose the ship, while the welder's on it, goes out on a little trip and he keeps welding. Well, common sense should say he should be covered while he's out there, but not when he gets back to the dock. And then we're trying to get a test to work that out. All right. My questions, I guess, are, is that right? And if that's not right, still, what's the difference between your two tests?
1: The the difference between the tests are that the perils of the sea is mentioned in the the Latsis test, but when they use the term regularly exposed to the perils of the sea, they did not address or use the word regularly. So under the Latsis test, all a person has to be is exposed at the time of his injury. He's a seaman.
2: Oh, Now, wait a minute. I I thought that the Second Circuit, in the, the very case we're looking at here said that one of the requirements of their test was that the course of the plaintiff's employment regularly expose the plaintiff to the hazards of the sea.
1: That's right. That was
2: their express test, and that's what I hear you saying the test ought to be.
1: But they didn't apply the regularly portion, because regularly... Did
2: they articulate the right test? Let's...
1: let's The the parent's sea prong is correct. That does conform with what... I believe the rule should be. The problem with the, the lattice test is that they use that alternative, nature or duration, and they allow a shore-based person to gain sea time, if you will, while he's endeavoring to provide service to a ship while he's sitting in his office. And it's that activity, which can be up to 90 percent, according to the facts in this case, that I believe violates Congress's intent under the Longshore Act and therefore, pursuant the Wheelander, well, violates the you judgment. You know,
2: it's, it's very hard to pin you down because you've just wavered this way and that throughout this argument. But the Second Circuit had several requirements in, in its test, and one of them was that the plaintiff's contribution was substantial in terms of its duration or nature. Right. And you take issue with that? Is that where you. That differ? is the
1: main problem. That is. A problem with the test itself because it allows shore-based employees, contrary to Wheelander, to be seamen. I also take exception with the fact that they articulate regularly exposed to the perils of the sea, but they never used it and never applied it to the facts of the case because if a person who's only out there 10% of the time is regularly exposed to the perils of the sea, then that doesn't have any meaning That will help with a test that will resolve these cases. Those
6: those are the two fatal flaws that you were going to tell us about at the very beginning of your argument.
8: And is there anything wrong with covering the welder if, in fact, he does go out on this mission and they sail about a thousand miles and he sits there and welds? I can see there'd be something wrong with covering him once he comes back to shore. But is there anything wrong with covering him while he's at sea?
1: That would be tantamount to the voyage test, and I believe there are problems with covering an employee just because he goes on one voyage. You have to look at his entire employment-related connection to the vessel.
4: And you say that he can't go in and out.
1: That's correct. I thought your position
4: was you cannot cover someone just for a voyage, and then when he comes back, he goes out of his Jones Act status. If he has the status, he has it for his entire employment. That is correct. Is that, and why, why is that? I mean, why is
8: it in the law? What, why is it that a person couldn't, for example, be a welder, and then he says, I'm going to sign up now to uh, uh, help with this ship, and he goes on the ship and pulls the ropes and everything. If
1: he, if he totally changes his job status no. and is permanently assigned to the vessel, he changes from a longshoreman into a seaman. Right. And, and that's what... Well, what it,
8: while he's on the shore and doing the welding at the bu- at the dock, he, he's the one thing, and then when he goes out
1: to sea, we couldn't say he's the other. Because this Court and Congress have shown a disinclination to allow people to wander in and out of coverage. Is
2: part of the problem that the Longshoremen and Harbor Workers Act is set up as a sort of a scheduled workman's compensation type program, and you calculate the benefits and the employer's liability Based on predictable factors of the employment, whereas the Jones Act is just an open-ended damages cause of action. Isn't that right?
1: That That is correct. And
2: so what the courts have done, basically, is not to adopt this voyage test so that they keep a stable longshoreman and Harbor Workers Act compensation scheme in place. Is that right?
1: That is correct. And, and that's the benefit but of this But you've got system.
2: problems because the two systems are not the same. And so, at the margins, you run into some difficulty.
1: I'll reserve my remaining time, Mr. Chief. Rose.
0: Very well, Mr. McCready. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Rosenberg, we'll hear from you. Uh, would you enlighten me on the same question I asked Mr. McCready? Um, I'll detail a little more. Supposing that someone who is conceitedly a seaman uh, is on a ship which uh, ends a voyage at Boston, and he lives in Boston, he's walking down Washington Street, and is run over by a car, and the, the ship is going to sail next week, he's just home for a week. Is, is the ship
9: owner liable to him for any damages under the Jones Act? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, I was thinking about answering that question when I got on my feet immediately. There's an important element necessary in the Jones Act before an, a, a, an employee can bring suit successfully. He must show that the employer is negligent. It's not a it's not a uh, it's not no fault system. He must establish that there's some neglect on the part of
0: the, the employer. If the shipping company had nothing to do with the car that ran him over on
9: Washington Street. It's not responsible for exactly. the Jones Act. Exactly, Your Honor. There's no, they, they control their risk. It's not something that, 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 that makes them a guarantor of the safety of all their employees. What employment. if it was the
4: company's car? What if it was the company's and, car
9: and it was negligent? And it was negligent. And he's on upfront? land?
4: and... and, and then,
7: then, the, then the employer would be, would be liable. I think Mr. McCready was mentioning that he would be typed a sailor for purposes of other relief like maintenance and cure. He'd get maintenance and cure, wouldn't he, if he had a sailor status?
9: Of course, Your Honor. As a matter of fact... If uh, you he wouldn't have if
7: he didn't have sailor status. Exactly. Even though there's no question of negligence. That's
9: right. That's right. And uh, that's an important feature of it. Uh, if I might just digress just for a moment from the discussion about the particular test to be applied, there's something of very important nature uh, with regard to the status of this appeal that I think I should bring to the Court's attention. The decision below is based upon two independent bases. One of them, of course, is what we've been focusing on so far, which test to be applied. But there's another one as well, and that has not been addressed in the petition, nor has it been addressed on the brief on the merits. And that is to say the, the Second Circuit's holding that the trial judge was in error in instructing this jury as a matter of law that the vessel was out of navigation when it was in dry dock in Germany. And that is an, in, an independent basis for the court's decisions, and it has not been addressed in the petition nor in the brief on the merits. Now, I'm prepared, and we have addressed the, the, uh, the merits of, of that position in our brief because we support it. There are two cases of this court that support that position that are very important in, in the Jones Act and, and the evolution of the Jones Act, which was cited in the Wheelander case, and that, those are the Senko cases and the Butler case.
0: Those were rather extreme decisions, though, some 30 years ago, weren't they?
9: Well, I would not characterize them as extreme because they've been guiding courts all along since that time in terms of coverage, but just let's examine factually what Butler involved and see how it fits in with, with, with the situation at hand. In Butler, there was a tugboat that had not been moved in the year in question except when it was towed to uh, a dry dock. It was... I guess effectively decommissioned. It was a waiting Coast Guard inspection. It had no captain, it had no other crew members except a laborer who was uh, assigned to it. And the laborer uh, w- was mysteriously found uh, drowned and the, the assumption was that he had somehow fallen from a, a gangplank. Now, that vessel, this court held, that question as to whether that vessel was or was not in navigation was a question for a jury. In the same way that uh, the Second Circuit held that whether or not that dry dock, six months, with very close planning, which, which had a crew on board, where uh, Mr. Latzis was, I, I contend, one of the crew members on that, on that boat, on that ship for that period of time, they executed a plan where they restored that vessel in six months, and she was on her way. And as a matter of fact, Mr. Latzis attended the shakedown crews, and when they put it back into dry he dock was, in was Norfolk. Was he- on the ship during the six months it was in the dry dock? He worked on that ship for six months. Seven, the testimony is seven days a week for six months. Well, from early work? in the morning to
0: eleven at night. But he, he didn't live on the ship. He
9: didn't live on the ship, no. There were some, there were some personnel living on the ship. He did, he was not one of the personnel that was accommodated on the ship. But nonetheless, that certainly shows a very intimate connection. Now, if this court is going to reverse the Second Circuit, considering that finding, it's going to do so without, without, uh, without considering this point as to whether, whether the, this court's prior holdings have vitality, without anybody briefing this point. And I think it's elementary in procedure before this court that before you take such action, reversing precedent, even if it's old precedent, Your Honor, it, it's old, but it's, it was cited in Wielander, uh, in, in, the majority, in, the, uh, in the unanimous opinion of this court, Wielander took cognizance of both Senko and, and, and Butler and uh, the efficacy of, of, of the rules laid down there. And that, I don't think that was a casual observation. But that didn't
7: Joe Joke say that, that if the accident had happened while the boat was in dry dock, uh, maybe
9: Lachis would not have been a sample? He said, he, he said it was an open question. He said whether, um, whether in, in those circumstances, a, a, um, an employee connected uh, to that vessel might might And if it was might, an might, open
7: question, then he had to at least have contemplated the possibility that Latsis is a seaman... Sometimes and not a seaman
9: at other times. No, I think what he, what he meant by that is how, how, how substantial was the association of Mr. Latzis to that vessel during that period of time in the context of his whole employment? In other words, the... How is that affected by where he's injured? Excuse me? How is that
4: affected by where he is injured?
9: Well, you know, there, there was, a, there was a, an issue raised about the, 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 uh, the uh, um, intuitive uh, approach to these kind of cases. As a matter of fact, the Fifth Circuit used those very words when it rejected affording seaman status to, uh, to pilots, which for, forever have always been considered seamen. But in any event, uh, to address that point, I think it's very compelling. It's a tiebreaker, as, as Justice Suda pointed out, that, that the, the man was enduring the, the risk that uh, the situation it's was I do compelling at all.
4: I, I'm, uh, why is it compelling if well, what you're looking for is status? What, Certainly what the status. individual's employment status
9: is. The purpose of the Jones
4: Based on his job description, not where, on the, not where the injury occurs.
9: As everyone has pointed out, Your Honor, there are, there are, there are, uh, there are close cases, a lot of close cases. Fine, well, and, what and about they,
4: flipping a coin? That's a good
9: tiebreaker, too. Well, I, I, why, it, why do you seize upon the place of the injury? The, not merely the place of the injury, Your Honor, but the risk associated. In other words, this was... A, 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 this was uh, according to the Second Circuit, and I think logically it follows, a risk of the employment of being involved in a vessel underway on the sea. And that's what's compelling about it. Well,
2: but that if was... he were a seaman, if Lapsus is in fact or was in fact at the time a seaman for purposes of the Jones Act, and if his retina had detached while he was sitting in his office on the dock, he would have been covered, wouldn't he? As a seaman under the Jones Act.
9: If you assume that somehow or other the doctor was neglectful in treating him in that yeah, same, case, same same
2: doctor said, "Don't you know? Don't worry right now."
9: Yes, I think do you that... find it compelling that he was sitting at his desk. No, then why do you find it compelling when he's sitting in a... because on the boat? The... I don't see the difference. If he was sitting on a dock Your on him, he would have alternatives. If he had some question about the competence of that physician, and if you read the record in this case, you'd have. Questions about the competence of this position. This physician, he could go somewhere else. He wasn't bound to to accept uh, only the the uh, medical care that was afforded him by this particular physician. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't have that risk risk of the sea. He wouldn't realize uh, injury as a result of the risk of risk of the sea. One of the risks of the sea is you get a bad ship's doctor. Or... No, no, no. I think that, I, I think a risk of the sea is something that because of the, the confinement. You're restricted to whatever, whatever is offered to you in that context. That's, that's why it's a risk of a C.R. Now, if inherent...
2: he's not a seaman, w- would he be covered under the Longshoremen and Harbor Workers Act?
9: He might. I mean, uh, to, to step out of the record again, I know of no... He has not made any application for right. for that but, coverage. But as and as far in, as you know, he
2: would be. If he isn't a seaman, then you think...
9: He might be, but he's not a longshoreman, that's for sure. And um, th- there might be some objection to his... Uh, in terms of the employee having a choice, I'm sure he'd prefer if the employee had control of choosing whether he would be, be considered uh, a Jones Act Which sailor. Which he doesn't. No. Then it's, I'm not, sure.
2: it's not a scheme that's set up for employee option, is it?
9: No, it's not. We're, we're most, clear
2: about that. Most he is or he isn't.
9: That's exactly right. Exactly. Mr. How would he,
2: he make his
3: sure. choice? And maybe be you never finished your sentence. If he had a choice, what would he choose?
9: Well, if the employer had a choice.
3: Employee, the employee, I thought you were talking no,
9: about you. No, the employer. The employer would cap his liability, obviously, with... I mean, there's a schedule. It says so many weeks that two-thirds of... If he lost his eye, they'd give him 160 weeks... Two-thirds of 160 weeks of his salary... Uh, if it's the total loss of the eye. I don't know. I'm not quite it's
3: sure. The, but the choice is not perfectly clear if it's an employee because one side you get absolute liability and the other, other hand you have to prove negligence.
9: That's right. And it's not a, a, a no-fault scheme. Jones Act, you've got to prove negligence. And I think the record here is amply, amply supports the conclusion that there was negligence here. No doubt about it. In the may, analysis-
5: I, may, I, may I just uh, go back to one answer you, or, or one question you answered a moment ago. You're not making the argument that place of injury combined with exposure to hazards at sea is, I think the word was compelling, you are saying uh, that it may indeed break the tie. Yes. And that's perfectly consistent with answering that if a person is a seaman and has the same eye injury on land, he will still be treated as a seaman for purposes of the exactly. act. Exactly.
9: matter of fact, this court has held quite the same uh, in, in a...
4: Unless it's very close whether he's a seaman or not, in which case you, you ought to find
0: the
9: fact
4: that he was on land
9: compelling. It might be, Judge. It might very well be.
0: Did the Second Circuit's opinion say it felt this was a very close case that needed a
9: tiebreaker? No. no that's, that's something we've introduced into the into the,
7: the, the Second Circuit was concerned with the error in an instruction to the jury. Absolutely. Is that right?
9: Yes, in several I, facets.
7: And it happened to be the, the error to which you, the instruction about permanent connection to which you did not object.
9: Yes, that's quite correct, Your Honor.
7: And so, and this case was not—it det- was not determined that Lassus was a seaman. It was sent back for retrial under proper instruction. Exactly, under the under the um,
9: the, the the test of the Second Circuit, as modified by this court's holding in Weiland, eliminating the requirement that uh, that uh, that, the, that the employee aid in navigation, which this court uh, directed no longer um, be part of the any any test for seaman status. That there are others besides. Uh, Blue water sailors that are covered by the Jones Act. And it's clearly contemplated that, um, for instance, uh, in, in, in enumerating all the occupations and trades that historically have been considered um, as, as seamen before the Jones Act was enacted, and that was a starting point for the analysis that we landed. There, there have been engineers, pilots, and all kinds of occupations that have been said to have contributed to the mission of the, of the voyage or the function of the vessel. And those alternatives were incorporated into the, in the, uh, in all totally, universally in all the terms. The test. term ship's engineer,
0: uh, and if you, and has a somewhat different connotation, doesn't it,
9: than uh, Mr. Latsis's profession? Mr. Latsis was a supervising engineer. In other words, he supervised the, the, uh, the engineers that were on board the vessel. It, it well, reco- what do the, engi-
0: what do the non-supervisory, the vineyard laboring in the vineyard type engineers do on board
9: of oh, it. They they operate the engines. Yeah. Uh, they effectuate repairs at sea when necessary. They coordinate uh, or make suggestions. But ultimately, the decision making uh, is is Mr. Lattis as the superintendent engineer as to how to execute on. Um, and they they accept the directions whether they're on hand. In other words, Mr. Lattis is regularly. The, the, the evidence indicates he visited these ships regularly in port and 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 also. Travel with them, uh, the engineers the operate the
0: ship's machinery, don't
9: Yes, they? exactly. They're operating engineers, I think, uh, in, in, in a major in a major way, as, as uh, the railroad used to have engineers on, uh, operating engineers as well. Uh, and there are fixed uh, plant operating engineers as well. The the, the the category engineer covers a lot of, uh, a lot of territory. Now, but Mr. Roseburg,
3: can I ask you, I'm just, I should know this, and I just forgotten the problem. isn't there both a situs test and a status test under the Longshoreman's Act? Under
9: the Longshoreman's Act, yes,
3: sir. Now, in the situs test, would, would he have met the situs test in this case?
9: Well, uh, what is the situs test? The, situs test? Is, uh, area, the, the, the Longshoreman, as, as the, as the Act indicate, is to cover, uh, principally, the, the impetus to, for the enactment was to cover people loading and unloading materials on board ships. Could, it was,
3: a, could he be a longshoreman if he was a thousand miles out to sea? Don't think so. So, I mean, it wouldn't meet the SITUS the, the, the test?
9: No, it wouldn't. No. And so, no, anybody in his office, he wouldn't meet it either.
3: So, there, isn't it true that a lot of people who are at sea, I mean, this is following up on Justice Souter's approach, would not meet the SITUS test under the Longshoreman's Act? That's true, yes.
9: And, as a matter of fact, there is a case that was not mentioned so far, a recent case of this court, Gazzoni, a ship repairman. where where the uh, employer advocated that since he was a ship repairman, how could he be a seaman? Well, this court found Mr. Gazzoni a ship repairman, a seaman, because he traveled on on work platforms that were floating, and therefore the vessel requirement was met, even though it was uh, several vessels. Do you you
6: agree that our law uh, indicates that you cannot... Go in and out of semen amongst your status?
8: Yes, I do. Well, that, that's exactly what I wondered in the Second Circuit test. That is to say, they talk about a person, other things being satisfied. But he either, he makes a contribution that is substantial either in respect to duration or nature. Correct. They're so thinking, what about our welder? Ninety-nine percent of his time, he's at the dock. One day, he's repairing the bulkhead, and they say, come with us, continue <clears throat> to do it while we go to Hamburg. Now, reading that test, I thought it would cover him while he is making a substantial contribution in terms of nature, though not of time. Exactly. And therefore, he would be covered. But when he got back to the shore, and he got off the boat, and he went back to his normal welding facilities, he's no longer covered. While, on the other hand, the seaman who's there because of duration, i.e., the real sailor, is covered always. Now, that, that's how I was reading that, and that's why I started out with Justice Souter's idea perhaps that would work. But now from various... I'm
4: quite shaken as <laughs> to whether that works or doesn't I don't work. think that's what the Second Circuit is saying. Well, it's, well regardless... They is, I,
9: didn't I, address I, that, no. But, but, but let me tell you but, that there is a case in this court that was decided in 1959, uh, Brain v. Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. which is cited in the reply brief. We didn't cite it in our brief, but it's in the reply brief, which, which involved a... Uh, the question as to whether you could step out of semen status. And this was a... Uh, This was someone who was uh, a seaman, and he was assigned to non-seaman duties. And the question was, by that assignment, would that take him out of seaman status? And the holding was that it was not. And I think implicit in that holding, and this also, I think, is, is also the rationale of Senko, was the fact that it was an intention that he would return at some point, that he was destined to once again encounter the hazards of the sea, and therefore, he retains that same... So aspect. how could
8: we do that? I, what I'm basically getting at is I don't understand why the welder shouldn't be covered. Think, he's out there in the ocean. I think he should. So I can perfectly well understand why he shouldn't be covered once he comes back to the dock. If when he comes so to- how does the law work I- in order to achieve that result without cutting off <sighs> the person with the blue? You want him to be covered when he comes exactly, back to the dock. Exactly. So how does it work, this statute? If, get the,
9: there? if you're a hypothetical welder, Your Honor... Uh, did did an odd job at sea, so he wasn't regular. That wasn't part of his regular employment. That was extraordinary. Then, if the if if the if the welding job at hand was substantial, he'd become a seaman. When he went back, however, if, if in proving that it was isolated, did not ever encounter that kind of risk or job again, or, or was not intended to. You nobody know, planned on doing that. Then, in fact, his job changed. And he lost seaman status because he's no longer... Well,
2: the Second Circuit test would not cover the welder who was asked to go to Hamburg because it clearly said you also have to find that in the course of the plaintiff's employment, the plaintiff is regularly exposed to the hazards of the sea. The Second Circuit wouldn't cover the welder. Well... Now, I thought that this case had uh, gone back to be, have the... Jury, uh, consider this under the Second Circuit's test.
9: Oh, no. That has not occurred as yet, Your Honor.
2: But that's their plan.
9: Oh, yes. That's what we're reviewing. Exactly, exactly. And
2: you don't like the Second Circuit test.
9: Well, no. I, I do like it, but I would I would modify but the word... But you didn't like... petition for certiorari. No, I did not, no.
2: And as it now stands, it will go back under that test, which certainly wouldn't cover the welder who's sent to Hamburg, would it?
9: Not if that was isolated. No, no, unless we wanted to uh, modify the word regular to mean uh, something different than that, non-sparatic. You, you in
0: effect, accepted the Second Circuit's position for for here. I think so. And you're you're faced with, uh, you're an opponent who says it should be a a much narrower definition of semen.
9: Exactly right.
0: So, presumably, neither of you would think it would cover the welder who went to Hamburg.
9: Unless, uh, with the proviso, that there was some recurrence to that that, that type of uh, that he frequently
0: went to hamburg
9: did he, were, were he well, planning, we, not we necessarily, all, we not necessarily Hamburg, that. but some place where uh, I'm sorry? i 'm th- sorry
0: if he frequently, frequently went to Hamburg, I think we could all agree
9: sure absolutely, but I mean, the concept I think is that um, that it was not isolated, Was it Hamburg or some other place where he would perform that function while at sea.
4: I have really lost the, uh, the, the thread of the disagreement, then, between you and, uh, and, and the other side of the case. You both agree that it has to be regularly, that, that the individual does not occupy seaman status unless he's regularly at sea. Is that right?
9: Well, we're obliged to do that because that's what the Second Circuit said, and we're supporting the Second Circuit. However... That that term regularly has not been defined to any degree, and I think contextually, the regularly in that situation means not sporadically, not spasmodically, not related to the clock. However, because that was the one thing that the second circuit was clear rejected, that having a a time only. uh, Mr. Rosenberg,
7: we're talking about a charge to the jury. Yes, Judge Oakes wrote a charge for that jury. Judge Kearse agreed that's a perfectly fine charge, but what she says, it wasn't plain error. Yes. So either the Fifth Circuit words are right, permanent, or the Second Circuit's words are right, uh, substantial, what is it? So, but more refinements we can't give because what we're talking about is what was the correct charge exactly. for a jury to be given in the words of the Fifth Circuit or in the words of the Second Circuit. And nothing uh, more elaborate is going to help this district judge, who is either going to be finished with the case uh, if the district judge is right, or will have to charge another jury if we
9: uphold the Second Circuit decision. Except, of course, the other point I brought up, Your Honor. That in addition, Judge Oaks' opinion states it was error to have excluded from the jury's consideration the period of time the vessel was in dry dock, from their determination of whether Mr. Latsis, in his overall employment, had a substantial connection to that vessel. The the Second Circuit held that error, and that that ruling has not been challenged here. So, in effect, the choices I I see before the court are, as you pointed out, Your Honor, the Fifth Circuit test or the Second Circuit test, but in any event, a remand and a new trial. And that's... That, that, that seems inevitable on, on the state of this record.
0: So you say there should be a new trial, even though we were to adopt the Fifth Circuit test. Yes, Your Honor. Yes.
9: But the, the, the Fifth Circuit test was not always so time-oriented. Until, uh, until the, the Bach case uh, and until the Chevron case, um, the, the, the Fifth Circuit was, was, not, was not so narrowly construing that test. This, this is a gloss that it's only occurred, relatively speaking, in recent times. And the older Fifth Circuit test, where that emphasis of time was not uh, so uh, narrow, it w- is, is very much the same, except I think in the, in the Second Circuit it's more well-articulated to get away from that concept.
3: And I think that that... May I reveal my stupidity once more? But I, you know, we've talked about this welder going to see just one <coughs> example. I thought he would be covered under the Second Circuit test, because I thought they left the duration... As one way of proving substantiality and nature the other way. And if the nature of his work during the voyage was what every seaman does, maybe they just send this weldra, I thought that would be covered under the second circuit test, but you've conceded it would not be.
9: Well, if, if the, the hypothetical we presented was just one isolated instance,
3: well, it's one long voyage from, you know, here to Tokyo, or Yokosuka, I guess you
9: well, could say. I, I assume that since there was a port mentioned that, that, that he worked only at that destination and not en route. No, if that, if that were true, I, would, I, I, I say that, that the welder is
5: covered. Well, and and isn't the, perhaps the, a way to... I'm sorry.
2: The Second Circuit clearly had an additional requirement in addition to that it be a substantial contribution. The Second Circuit also said that the plaintiff's employment had to regularly expose the plaintiff to the hazards of the sea. Yes. So the Second Circuit had an additional requirement. Exactly right. And the thing. welder on a one-time trip would not be covered under that test.
9: Assuming the trip was finite, it wasn't, it wasn't a long, you know, worldwide cruise kind of thing, he would or wouldn't be covered under that test. But you'd have to employ that term to ascertain whether or not that requirement was made. That but is was it, the is it
5: possible to read the Second Circuit test and to answer Justice Breyer's question in, in some such way as this? We will we will start with agreement uh, that once a person has attained semen status, he doesn't lose that status by going ashore for a month or something of that sort. He doesn't become a non-seaman when he crosses the gangplank. Uh, and, and we will assume that when someone does not have semen status, Mere presence for a short time, perhaps even as an employee on the ship, may not be enough. But there are some cases, and perhaps this is one uh, in which by going the, in which the previously non seaman goes on a voyage and performs duties which in fact indicate a change in his job, and when that happens, as it might be if the welder went to sea. And uh, while they were at sea, somebody said my god there 's a leak in the hull. Can you weld it shut?" And he goes down of course he 's contributing to the to the mission of the ship etc et uh, In that case, he is simply performing a different kind of job for his employer from what he does when he sits in dry dock and so on and This may be one of those cases and the the second circuit 's test is consistent with applying it may consistently be applied to find seaman status, because once the job has changed, he regularly is performing those duties. Is that perhaps a way to reconcile and answer what is bothering all of us? I think that does, because uh, that clearly defines it at that point. Well, except
2: that the Fifth Circuit would say no.
9: That's right.
4: That
2: you look at the permanent job assignment. And if the permanent assignment is to be in an office and supervise... The engineering on the whole fleet of ships, even though occasionally having to make a trip at sea in doing that, the, the permanent assignment is not that of a seaman. I, think I mean, you, you would have a difference in the circuits on
9: that. I think that Justice has put his finger on something, though. This, the, 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 uh, the test in that, in that circumstance would be of that particular employment. If the nature of the employment changes... Well, that's nifty, but
4: uh, people always come in and say, whenever they go to sea, they say, well, you know, this was a new job. I mean, they're, 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 there's, there's no end to the litigation over that when everybody's going to claim that as soon as he gets assigned in the course of any employment to go on a ship, well, that was a new job.
9: Well, Judge, is it there are other requirements besides being assigned to the ship? We're talking about somebody who's but involved. This wasn't a new job. This was part of regular
7: job. You answered, you gave a firm answer to the question of the, there's no in and out for a true sailor. Right. He's assigned to land for two months. He remains. He's ever and always a sailor. Now, you seem to be shuffling um, on whether somebody who is not that traditional sailor but who spends a considerable amount of time on a voyage can be, for that temporary time, a sailor, even though he's going to go back on shore and be an engineer and sit in his office in Miami and maybe fall down the stairs there. Is Lattis ever and always a sailor, or can he be a sailor, under your argument, when he's in the middle of the ocean on the way to Bermuda, and yet not be a sailor when he gets back to his office in Miami and falls down the stairs? Traditionally,
9: it has been that once you achieve the status of seaman, you don't step out of it, as long as that that, that continuity of the duties related to that employment continues. But people do change jobs. But his job hasn't changed. He occasionally goes on ships,
7: but he spends most of his time on land. Is, are you, is your answer, yes, you must type him as either a sailor or not, so that just as when he had the detached retina in the middle of uh, the way to Bermuda, if he got it in his office in Miami, when he got back, he would still be a sailor?
9: Oh, he'd still be a sailor, yes. But there's no negligence of an employer in the office in Miami. Well, so he would, well, he
7: would, I'm assuming that the office is ill-equipped or the, sta- the stairs and the property that was uh, re- rented by the employer were defective. So the, the, the negligence is still If defective. there's negligence, but he's a you saying that this man, you, you, you two seem to agree then that either you're a sailor or you're not a sailor. And there's no in and out. That's there's no welder case possible because either that welder is always a sailor or never a sailor.
8: That's, that's... So, so if you don't permit the in and out, then a person who goes on one trip to Hamburg and he has a blue suit, he puts up the sails, he steers the ship, he uh, repairs the engine, he rows half the way. Uh, he, he is not covered under the act because you'd call him not a seaman? I mean, that's what to me makes very little sense, frankly.
9: I agree. It doesn't seem to me. But then sense. isn't
8: Justice the Souter's approach a way of dealing with it, though
9: it has Justice Scalia's cost? It does, but is another, another factor I think we're, we're overlooking. Traditionally, in terms of this question of a voyage has come up, and, and it's been called a voyage test, mm-hmm. in, 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 except in, uh, well, even in modern times, but at the times under consideration, the times before the Jones Act was enacted, seamen, blue water sailors, traditionally would sign on for a voyage. In In this court's opinion, we landed, it cited no less than five times a single case decided by the district court, in New York by Judge Howe called the Buenaventura as typifying how the analysis went to determine who was a semen. This, this was a case...
0: Thank you, Mr. Rosenberg. Your time has expired. The case is...
5: The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.